0: Welcome to Predator Radio, your exclusive podcast channel for everything predator hunting related. Predator Radio is brought to us today by our sponsor, Predator Precision. Predator Precision offers a full line of thermal and night vision optics, as well as thermal accessories. Check them out on the web at www.predatorprecision.com. Hi, welcome to another episode of Predator Radio. We're here today with James Bostic of Boss Predator Acoustics. And I've asked James to come on board today with us because of his uh, extensive, what I feel, his extensive uh, knowledge and background, specifically on calling and predator sounds. So, as I mentioned with each episode, our goal with season one is to help new people who are trying to get into predator hunting, get them the information they need to be more successful. um, And as I say, cut down the learning curve. So one of the things that helped me when I got started was I had bought a sound pack from, this before I knew James, uh, but he had come recommended his sounds. I I had bought a sound pack from him and I threw it on, then I was only using one call. Um, I was using a Fox Pro call. I threw it on my shockwave. And um, at the time, I wasn't super successful. I threw some of his sounds on there, and stuff started to work. So I knew I was on to something. Over time, I've um, got the opportunity to speak with James on a few different things and realized that his knowledge base on uh, calling is something that every time I talk to him, I'm able to learn something new. So I want to bring that to you guys. So we've got James on board, right? Yep. Hello, guys. Hey, thanks for uh, taking the time uh, to help us with this. I know that uh, I understand you've been hunting late nights the past few nights and got a funny sleep schedule. I think I woke you up for this, this podcast, so I really appreciate <laughs> you like, <laughs> pushing through here for me.
1: Not a problem. I uh, I enjoy uh, the community, and I'm really uh, glad to to be here with you. So, uh, you know, a few hours sleep is probably all I need. I'm everybody says I'm somewhat a vampire, so. Well, good if you deal. look at my skin tone compared to my nephew, and in, in our in our photos online on Facebook and social media, you're going to see this that, <laughs> that I'm the pale one.
0: <laughs> well, I, I appreciate you taking time so we can all learn from you. So, James, can you first kind of give everybody a background for for those of uh, the people that don't know who you are? A um, little background on who you are, uh, what you got, and kind of how you got to where you are today.
1: You betcha um well i started coyote hunting probably as a kid and uh um, but i i didn't fall in love with it until probably about 12 years ago 12 to 13 years ago and what what happened basically it was kind of a progression i really loved elk and deer hunting and uh and 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 Probably for me, nights was the biggest thing that just changed my feel for Kyle Hunt. There are guys that love hunting days, guys that hunt love hunting nights, and some guys do both. I'm just pretty much a night guy. I will go out during the day sometimes, but um, my brother took ill, and we uh, ended up. Uh, he just he couldn't keep up with me for scouting deer and elk, and I bought a one of those big old Raytheon Thermal Eye 250D um, thermal scanners to help us scouting because we'd be walking. uh, We'd do a lot of hiking and and I'd look behind me. He'd be 80 yards behind me and I I was having a conversation with him and I wasn't getting (laughs) a reply and I turned back and there he was like way back there. And so I got that, um, that thermal scanner and it was like this big law enforcement military thing. I mean, they were expensive, like eight grand. And uh, I didn't, I didn't spend that much on, I found one on eBay and offered the guy like 2,500. And he came back with me and, and said uh, he'd sell it uh, for 25 about a week later. And by then I only had 2,100 left. And I told him that. And he was like, okay, I'll sell it for 21. <laughs> so that that got my first thermal scanner. Really successful for deer and elk. Then um, we were, at, we, I mean, after the first day of season, we both had our, we, we both filled our tags. And I was like, hey, man, we could use this coyote hunting. So we went out the next morning. And. I mean, I couldn't believe the difference in the, the number of coyotes we were just seeing popping their heads up above the sage compared to day hunting because uh, apparently, you know, my eyes aren't that good, and they just blend in really nicely in the sage out here. Gotcha. So uh, we came home that night, and it was like, you know what? We could use this for night hunting, uh, and then that just, that just trickled in. I went up getting night vision. We did that for a number of years, like six years or so. And then I rolled over to a thermal optics on the rifle, and um, man, I just been I, since I got my first night coyote. I mean, it was our first stand. We got a coyote, and I knew right then I just loved it. And that was pretty much it for me. That's awesome. And so, yeah, this whole thing kind of spiraled from there. And I've always been a technical guy. I've been building computers for about 25 years. Uh, even though I've got my master's in counseling, I kind of fell in love with computers at the same time, and didn't want to change my degree. I was already a year into my master's in uh, counseling. And so it was like, wow, you don't just roll over to another thing. So I pushed through that, but I've always done both. And I've been a manager at Dell. So it really had the technical side down. And, uh, what I found was I had that old, uh, what it was, a, Fox pro spitfire held 20 sounds. And that's kind of how the whole sound thing got going for me. And, uh, what happened was that 20 sounds isn't a lot when you're out in the field. And um, they get burned up pretty quick. Coyotes get educated. And so I, I, looking at how much memory it had, I realized, hey, man, this thing will hold a lot of sounds. I mean, it, it has a capacity to hold a lot of sounds, but they limit you to 20. So I started making uh, sequences. And we'd go out and record uh, coyote vocals, etc., and get sounds. And then I'd make 20 sequences and I could go out there and just play those and it was just it gave me a lot more versatility in the field and I did that for a lot of years and uh, once I got a fusion and I held a thousand sounds I, I didn't see the <laughs> you know I didn't need sequences anymore I really wanted to break things down into just sounds and so I just kept making sounds because you know they're, they're so expensive and, and the fact is it's just nice to have more versatility on your call I mean, I, I just think a guy that has more to choose from when he's in the field is just going to be a lot more effective, um, especially if he knows his choices, has them organized well on his call, and uh, can kind of match tone. I do a lot of tone matching and things like that. So if I'm doing a, like an interrogation howl and it's a female and she's high-pitched, I'll, I'll probably try to stay with a high pitch. if I'm going to roll over to, say, uh, barks or challenge barks and howls then I'm going to probably stay with a high pitched female for that because I want to sound like I'm the same coyote if I start moving to a you know a throatier or a more gravelly sounding female then it's going to sound like I got two coyotes out there and and here you know with our coyotes they're pretty cowardly so I try to I try to make it stay as um I guess as, as less aggressive as possible and
0: uh gotcha. so
1: that's kind of how this whole thing got rolling i never planned to sell sounds i just had i shared them with a couple guys on facebook about a i don't know about a year or so ago i was making some and they were asking if i was going to go out and i was like well when i get done with the sound they were like what do you mean what do you mean when you get done with your sound and i was like well i'll make sounds and they were like well hell send it to me when you get done so i i already had like five or six cranked out so i just sent them what i had and kept sending them as i made them through the summer and um they're the ones who encouraged me to start selling my sound so that's kind of how the whole gig got rolling well
0: that's awesome and when you say just so our our listeners know um talk about sage and where you're at uh you're west
1: oh yeah out here in idaho i'm in the the southern desert plains of idaho along the snake river okay and uh so we've got a lot, it's agriculturally based. So we've got a lot of fields. We've got uh, tons of um, fields that border on sage, which I really love to hunt those particular environments where you've got the sagebrush because it, it's good traffic. Uh, basically coyotes use it as as their thoroughfares. Uh, they use, uh, we've got got tons of canals because I mean, we're in a desert. So they've got a dispersed water out there for those fields, et cetera. Um, and so basically during the dry season, so like during the fall and winter, those are empty, and coyotes use those as thoroughfares as well. They'll they'll travel through them from place to place. They'll duck into them, and, and so just really terrific place to hunt coyotes. There's a lot of them out here, so, and there's a big need. Lots of uh, ranchers, uh, dairymen, and uh, sheep herders, et cetera. So,
0: so what, a kind of diving into it here, what I wanted to pick your brain on is, uh, communicating with the coyote. So one of the, the biggest questions I see people asking online and, uh, when I, when I talk to people and, and I, I take some new hunters out with me. Um, most people know I hunt by myself pretty much exclusively, but, uh, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. somebody will tag along with me. And a lot of times it's a newer person that wants to kind of get into it. Oh, and, yeah. And one of their, their big questions is like, um, you know, it's it's general and from kind of lack of knowledge, you know, what sounds work or, you know, how, how do you know what to play? So <clears throat> I know when we talked for a, few, for a few minutes before this podcast, I said uh, I wanted to um, go over kind of sounds and stuff like that. And then um, I, the more advanced part of, uh, motivating a coyote communication you brought up a really good point If you wanted to kind of flip that around and go over uh, the behavior and what I consider to be the advanced part you wanted to go over first I guess as, as the basic part which I think is really interesting and a lot of people myself included I think are thinking of things backwards so if you can kind of explain the the process I'm gonna kind of just give this to you and let you roll with it of the process of um, sa- sounds that motivate a a coyote um, versus what a person thinks the sound they want to hear. I guess.
1: Okay, you bet. Yeah, um, you know, like we were we were talking before. Um, I, when I'm go out to stand, I'm never thinking about what sound do I want to play. That's not the first thought. And I think, you know, I get a lot of guys saying, hey, could you build me a sequence? You know, uh, do you sell sequences? And I don't because I think it really limits a guy's flexibility when he's out on stand. Because um, the things that I'm looking at, the first thing I'm trying to figure out is what motivator and motivation am I trying to trigger on these coyotes? And, you know, um, that is going to determine which sounds I'm going to play and and how I'm going to to set up and start that stand. And, and, and sometimes you can tap more than one motivation at the same time. Uh, sometimes you can, if a, if a particular trigger isn't working for a motivator, you can roll over to a different motivator to choose, okay, what other motivation am I going to try to work on? And then that's going to dictate which sounds you're going to choose and what sound categories you're going to want to go to. So I always look at it like that. So um, I really think uh, for me, um, I had a lot of misconceptions when I first started hunting coyotes. Uh, I just, I, I had in my mind what I thought would work, you know, and it made sense to me logically as a human being. I just thought, okay, this makes sense. I'm going to start out with an interrogation how. And that way, one, I can locate coyotes, you know, if there are any in the area that are, you know, at distance, I'll be able to determine where they are at what distance, you know, not Mm -hmm. all coyotes are going to respond obviously, but, you know, some are going to. And so I'll be able to then, you know, then follow up. So if I started, say, with the interrogation how, well, then I could roll over to say rabbit. And in my mind, that that would say, hey, I'm in your territory. They might not like that. OK, now I'm eating your food. OK, they're probably not going to like that. So what I found was when I got thermal, I'm out there in the field and I've got four coyotes out there. I remember the first time this happened and they're about. Six 700 yards away. So I start out, I play a female interrogation howl and I just lead like that and I watch these four coyotes just start to leave this field. It's a huge field and they're long, there's a ditch bank that runs right in the middle and they start leaving and and didn't matter what I did, they would not come back. I I, I was like, wow how and cowardly that are these to every What one of is us? going on? <laughs> Oh, yeah. It blew my mind, honestly. And what I realized is I was probably dealing with interlopers because I watched them go all the way across that field. They crossed the dirt road and under the fence, and then they hung out there on the other side of the fence. So I knew, okay, we got a property issue. But the thing that was, was um, disconcerting to me was um, my, whole, my whole process for, for calling coyotes, I realized that that wasn't a great strategy and that what I did was I said, basically, I announced, hey, I'm home. They didn't know that that I didn't own that property. They just knew they didn't, right. so they got out of there. Right. So what I've done is um, I just – that was a misconception I had, and so really what I've done over the last uh, probably decade of, of night hunting or so is really just watch coyote behavior, the body language. Really, the thermal's just been a, a gift for being able to – to view them and, and really watch what my sounds are doing and how they respond to them. And that to me has, has made prop, just a big difference, a massive difference in how I view coyote behavior and, what, and the motivators that I see that seem to trigger them. And so that's kind of why I did that whole segue into that. So, um, so really, when I'm looking at motivators, you know, the, the, the primary one guys are always thinking about is hunger. I mean, that is a primary survival motivator for coyotes. They have to eat in order to survive and in order to, to, to mate and to, to get to estrus in order to, you know, breed mm-hmm. and, and have a litter and move on. And, and, and hunger is going to be one of those primary things. And that's why there are tons of distress sounds out there. You've got, you know, rabbit, full squeaks. I mean, you name it, there's tons of them. And they're, they're effective. Okay, they're effective all year because Kyles have to eat all year in order to, you know, fulfill that um, kind
0: of yeah, their a
1: biological imperative. Yeah. If that makes sense. So, um, you know, and, and a lot of guys are just prey guys. I've, I've had guys contact me, they never use Kyle vocals ever. <laughs> and I, I can understand that to a certain degree that because. It depends on the coyote's disposition in your territory. I think it's really really important to know your coyotes. Are they aggressive? Are they non-aggressive? Because if you start playing, like I've had some guys in Michigan say, you know, if I do anything more than interrogation how, it's over. So if I use an aggressive sound, those coyotes are gone. Mm -hmm. So, um, and that's where guys start kind of saying, I'm just going to stay with hunger. But the downside of that is you're only using – one motivator you're only using one motivator t- to call in coyotes and so you're missing a massive massive other um opportunities to bring in coyotes that you can't bring in for 100 because some coyotes i mean if say i've got to go say they're a long ways away and maybe you're eight eight hundred yards out there and you're running you know bull squeaks or rabbit or whatever well uh, 800 yards might be too far for them to go. If I've got to go like five miles to go get a McDonald's hamburger, I might not, I might not get in the car to do that. Right. You know, it, but if I've just got to go down the street, I'm more likely to do that. I'm more likely to go get that food. And if my wife were to bring in a McDonald's hamburger and say, hey, you want a hamburger? Even if I'm not hungry, I might eat the damn thing. You see what I'm saying? So I'm always talking to guys about proximity. You know, um, some guys really feel like they're doing something wrong um, on stand when they're really doing everything right. Even with hunger, they're trying to tap that motivator. They get those coyotes. They're just checking up. They're not coming in. You know, and it could be a territorial issue. They may be at the edge of what they consider their boundary. They're kind of like dogs. Dogs will mark, you know, you got a dog, it'll mark your entire fence line. The next door neighbor's dog, it'll mark its entire fence line. Each one knows where its territory starts and ends. Right. Okay. And they know when they cross into somebody else's territories, but they do it all the time. You know, if you got a dog, it'll come, it's loose, it'll come over and crap in your yard, but it knows that's not its yard. Right. You know, It'll come sniff around and might even try to mark your territory to say, hey, I'm taking possession of this. And coyotes are kind of the same way. So I think the the real thing is um if you're looking at motivators, you know, hunger hunger is one of those primary ones. But then it you're limited if you just stay with that. I feel like that. I mean, I guess that's my opinion. I think a guy that just stays with hunger only really is kind of tying his hands in some ways and he's reducing the number of coyotes that he's going to um bring into stand throughout the year.
0: All right. So, so so what other motivators you you've touched on hunger, what other motivators are there to work with?
1: Great question. So the next one I'm always looking at is protection of territory and resources. So we just talked about how coyotes know their territory, right? So, if you get too close to a coyote's territory and you're using coyote vocals, well, they're going to give you a certain response to that. Usually, it's it's not a very positive one. So, if you start encroaching into their territory and you start working their resources, um, they need those resources to survive, okay? Right. So, they're not going to like somebody in there, in their territory, eating their food. So um, it'd be like, if you're sitting here at your house, right. And you look out on the back porch and some guy's standing in your backyard right. and you're like, dude, what's that do? You might be looking out the window. You're getting, you're filling up a cup of water, getting coffee or something. You look out your window, like, what is that guy doing out there? And then, uh, <laughs> you might, you might go open the door and ask him, but you might be the kind of guy just to, to just watch and say, what, I'm, what, okay, what is he going to do? You know? But imagine that guy comes over, opens your grill, and takes a chicken leg off a off the grill, and starts eating it. Well, I guarantee you are probably gonna go out and deal with that situation. Right. So the cool thing about territory and resources is that you can use um sounds that stimulate the motivation for hunger and protection of territory and and you can you can put those two together and you come up with you're triggering that protection of territory and resources. So um it works really good if you start getting into like say uh denning when they're denning up like right about now when you got pups being born, yep. you start getting close to their den, they're going to be real protective. So you start using tile vocals close to their den and and there's some other things like pup distress and what have you. We'll get into that in a second. Um they're going to get real antsy. They're not going to like the fact that you're in there. So it's a it's a good way to trigger coyotes. They're going to want to come in and tell you to stay out of their area. And you'll hear it. You'll hear the, the barks and challenge, barks and howls they'll send back. That's usually when I get some of my best sounds is in the summer when everything's dend up and I get in, try to get in close enough so that they're, they're vocal, but not so close that they're going to come in and get silent on me, you know, um, and try to push me out of their area. So, um, so protection territory and resources, real strong motivator for coyotes. And then you got protection of family. That's where, um, and pup distress, you know, like a lot of guys will set their call, like a Fox pro calls, especially with Fox bang, they'll set those up to run either Chi which is an adult coyote in pain or yelping. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or, um, pup distress, which is, you know, obviously a pup that's crying out for help. And they'll set those up on fox bang. So after the shot, you hear that, um, you hear that distress sound and coyotes, a lot of times you can bring in a coyote after the shot to come in and see what's going on and try to, you know, they, they think their partner or their, their you know, their, somebody in their family unit has been hurt and they're going to come in to try to deal with that. So you might get another coyote coming in the stand after you've already shot. So, um, real effective means for, for, um, motivating coyotes to come in. And so, um, and pup distress is really good, especially, you know, um, some guys say it only works in summer. I've I found that, man, with that particular sound, it works all year long on females. And you can kind of tell in the middle of the winter, you run pup distress a male, a lot of times, he'll he'll look at you, but he usually won't get very vocal. Right. And uh, they may come in, but I've seen more males than not. I can tell a male and a female usually because the female will come in. She will – it's just like if you're – in the parking lot of walmart or something and some baby's crying you know and you're walking with your wife is she's like oh well what's going on you know she's looking around and you're just like let's go shopping baby <laughs> <All> right, <laughs> let's that get this that over maternal, with and that coyote's maternal kind of, instinct yeah, in. yeah yeah i think it's hardwired into uh females and uh you can you can see that in coyotes too so, but during the during those summer months, when you got the pups out and they they're either at the den or they're they've moved to like a staging area where they're where the um, parents are out hunting, and those coyotes um, pups have been put, placed in an area to kind of wander around and and you know uh, look around. Man, a pup distress is protection of family. It's a really good motivator to trigger a response and bring in coyotes. So. After that, you've got um, what I've what I've seen in the field, and there may be other motivators, but these are the ones that I've seen, and that I use to trigger coyotes. Um, so we've got hunger, protection of territory and resources, protection of family. Then we got um, estrus, which is you know usually out here in the west, and I'm not and I can't say all areas. But around the third week of January in my area is when our coyotes start to move into estrus. So that's that's another way to trigger coyotes. You start using estrus chirps. You start using whimpers. You know, um, Rick play. He's got some really good um, you know breeding sounds. Uh, you know, talk dirty, sniff it, mm-hmm. uh, and and those kind of sounds really get a response during. That window where coyotes are breeding and you and and female I like to use a lot of female uh, interrogation howls because um, one other females won't want coyotes in their area so if you start running female howls um, a lot of times a female will come in to move you out right. okay because she doesn't want a competition for any of the males that are out there for breeding uh, it also attracts males so it's a, it's just a really a female vocals in those situations really nice. You can pair things up. I mean, there's just a lot of flexibility when you're running estrus. You can run a really loud female howl, and then you can run a really quiet male howl as a response. Wait a little bit, do another really loud female howl, uh, bring up the volume on that male howl a little bit louder, like he's getting closer, and you move them on in, and then you can move over to whimpers, you know, things like that. So, estrus is one. And then you, um, and so sex, I just call it sex is another motivator. And then you've got, um, let's see, doo, 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 doo. I'm sorry for my, my apology. Sorry, we got um, and then you've got food curiosity. Food. Yeah. Coyotes are crazy, curious animals. So, and, and the thing is, is, um, and this one's kind of hard to explain because guys watching coyote behavior in the field, a lot of times say, I've, I've, start out with a female interrogation howl. I roll over to some aggressive kind of a challenge, barks and howls from her, even if, even if no coyotes are responding. Mm-hmm. And then I immediately roll over to pup distress, okay? Well, I've watched coyotes that were checked up at about 700 yards or so out along the sagebrush in this fence, and there were four of them, and their body language was just stressed out. I mean, you could tell there was one alpha there sitting by the fence. There were two others. They were just move you can just tell they're moving back and forth and there's one kind of moving back in the stage and just popping his head up and they're just stressed out and what happened is i rolled over to pup distress and just right after my last challenge and what happens is the coyote um that was sitting there by the fence they all came to the fence and their body language totally relaxed okay um two of them ducked under the fence and they start just strolling in so you'd think that, okay, I'm doing protection of a uh, right family. I went to pup distress, right? That's a protection of family sound, right? But mm-hmm. no, I was triggering curiosity because if I was if I was triggering um, that protection of family, they'd have come in hard. Right. They'd have come in fast. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yep, exactly. So a lot of guys, when you're playing a sound like that, if you got Dogs, if you got coyotes coming in casual, well, they're not coming in for protection of family. They're coming in for curiosity.
0: Right. Does
1: that and, make and, sense? Yeah.
0: And that kind of goes back to um, in one of my previous episodes, we, we talked about uh, how much you can learn just while calling and how much the thermals have allowed us to see and watch the, the Absolutely coyotes behavior during calling. So that kind of leads, it makes sense to what you're saying of, um, you know, I've always kind of gone on the theory of if a sound is working, stay with that sound. But this really takes it a step further and says, watch what the, watch what the dog's doing and manipulate their behavior through the sound. And and how many times do you see that their behavior changes partway through? Like, is is your theory when when that sound works, you put you played pup distress as you were just talking and the dog starts to mosey in. Do you stay with pup distress mm-hmm. and keep pulling them in on the a- string? Absolutely. Okay. Is absolutely. there a time that you it, would change so that they get part way in and for some reason lose interest? Do you what do you do there?
1: Well, um I you know, I see that sometimes with when I'm running rabbit or like uh prey distress. Sometimes you know uh, rarely does that happen if I'm running like puff distress, and they've already started to come in if they've been checked up and i've finally got I've rolled over and triggered something to bring them in, Sorry. then typically um some guys will just keep playing the sound constant. What I'll do is I'll stop the sound and and then watch them if they start to lose interest, then I'll hit that sound again, and I'll probably just leave it running if if they're moving. When the the sound's playing, I'll keep playing the sound. Um, If they start checking up, I might go quiet and just wait, you know, be a little patient. A lot of times, sometimes even um, after I've played pup distress, I'm not seeing anything. I'll shut off the call and wait four minutes, maybe five minutes, and just watch. Because sometimes a coyote might be afraid to show its face when that, that, uh, like, pup distress is going on or when that commotion is happening and so and they're curious they want to come in but they're just they're just if you're if you've got nervous coyotes or you know non-aggressive coyotes then sometimes they're going to hold back so by going quiet maybe even five ten minutes sometimes you'll have coyotes that all of a sudden want to come in to see what just occurred over there they want to they want to put their nose on it they're going to want to take a look and see what's happening yeah. And so curiosity is a really good trigger and you can use it in a lot of different ways. Yeah. I call those so, the
0: after the fact coyotes. And and one of yep, the one of the yeah. tips that uh <clears throat> one of the tips that I always try to give is even after, you know, I always try to obviously we all slip into a set as quiet as possible. I also try to slip mm-hmm. back out of the set as quiet as possible. And Oh, absolutely. I'm kind of an analytical nerd. I track all my stats of what sounds work and where I'm at (laughs) and all that. But I also track at what point in the stand do I get my kills, and I log that in an app. And about 15% of my kills I get after I've got back to the truck. And what I do is I get back to the truck before I open my door. Um, my my truck has those stupid automatic running boards that come down automatically. So as soon as I open my door, lights come on that the running board comes down. It's pretty well blown. So I always make it, (coughs) excuse me. I always make it a habit to scan one more time before I get the truck. And about 12 to 15% of the time that works. There's one that just straggled in and I call him the after the fact dog that He, he didn't, like you said, he was nervous. He didn't want to come during the confrontation, but curiosity, he just wanted to see what happened and, and, and they don't know who else is coming in during that confrontation. Um, we, we see that a lot with like, uh, um, like a, like den raid or, or a, a sound similar to that. Oh yeah. I've called in two or three groups before one group will commit. The other two groups already know somebody's there and they're just there to wait and see what happens. Um, so that's a really good point that I think people probably overlook. I know I overlooked for a long time was, uh, you know, the, 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 the manipulating their behavior, uh, you know, and being patient. And that's one of the biggest questions I think people have is, is a sound's working. Do I keep playing it? Do I hit pause? You know, let them come in on their own, um, here, you know, (coughs) excuse me, where you're at, it's you know western dogs it's it's really rural um and you i you're out in the middle of nowhere um here in the east or at least in ohio where i hunt you know it's all flat flat land Mm -hmm. um, for the most part but we're hunting around houses i mean there's at any given point um you can see you know a lot of the plots i hunt on It may be a 20, 30 acre field and it backs up against two other, three other fields, the same size. But regardless within 1500 yards, 2000 yards of where I'm at, there could be two or three houses. So there's a lot more distractions. Like when you say out out your way that, you know, the dogs, once they commit, they generally come in. I think that has a lot to do with the environment where here in the East, here in the East I've had, you know, if they come running in, they're committed. They usually keep coming in. But here, stragglers, inevitably, they'll be trotting in. You think, I've got them on a string. They're coming in. And then somebody about three farms down slams a car door, and they stop. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Or a car drives oh, by. Yeah. And, and the car could drive by half a mile to the other side, and they'll stop. They You know, they don't necessarily run off. But around here, you know, they're so... They're uh, so easily distracted is what we find. So it's neat to kind of understand what you're explaining is when you find that, I call it their trigger, but they're, you know, flipping their switch when you find that motivator um, or tapping into that motivator will definitely, I can see how that would make people more successful. That that's golden. That's golden information. It seems like.
1: I really think it, it helps. Um, it's helped me i should say in bringing in coyotes and and uh and and i'll get on to the last one really quickly it's ego so the last motivator is ego and you're going to find those coyotes that you know if you live um in an area where you've got really aggressive coyotes Mm -hmm. or you've got an alpha and you can hear usually you can hear it in the tenor of their voice Um, even females you're going to have some some females that are the alpha of the pack and and they will let you know you can kind of hear that gravel in their voice um they've got it that deeper tone to them when you hear it you know it right. and uh once you've heard a couple alphas you you got it down and they they really have a strong stance and so like ego is another great motivator because if if we I rarely get um <laughs> like an, a real alpha dog cuz our dogs just are not very um aggressive out here so they're very non-confrontational, but occasionally, probably two, three times a year, I will get one. And when I get one, it totally changes my calling sequence. I will stay aggressive with that coyote. It's just like the bully at school. Right. If you want, if you want that bully at school to come and mess with you, start telling him off. You know, call him a dipshit, whatever. You know, you know how to bring him into you. Interrupt him when he starts saying something. Cut, cut over him. You know, and and he's he. You're gonna push those buttons on him to to bring him in and and so that like ego is one of those things that I definitely use and and certainly there are areas around the nation where you've got more aggressive coyotes you know it's like the difference between living in maybe a rural community and then going downtown you know in Jersey or or New York you know the Bronx or something like that you know you walk out there you say the wrong word to anybody there you're going to have five guys around you right. you know what i mean yep. so Knowing your coyotes and and knowing those motivators, I'm going to go through them really quick again. You got hunger, protection of territory and resources, protection of family. You got sex, curiosity, and ego. And I think, and and I've tried to really analyze it and look at it um, to find other motivators, but those are the ones that I always come back to. Those are the ones that seem to produce results for me. And, uh, I was a guy, um, for a while, my wife was really ill. She had a uh, Crohn's and, uh, she was struggling. And uh, we had about five years of that. And so I might only get to do one or two stands. So I couldn't be one of those guys that went and did 15, 20 stands to get a coyote. Right. You know, yeah. I, I went out there, I really paid attention to what I was doing You know, I wanted to go out and do one or two stands and get a coyote, and then it kind of cleaned the slate for me. Just being out cleaned the slate in a lot of ways, just wiped the the whole week away. It was like starting fresh. But I really was working on trying to improve my processes so that um, when I went out, I would be successful. And usually it only takes me one or two stands to get a coyote. Um, That's pretty common. And we don't get big numbers out here. that's that's a whole different conversation about how um your like coyotes are geared to survive so whatever they're going to do to survive um it's it's they're going to do it and so that's why you have bigger packs in some areas where you have smaller packs or, or you have a lot of singles or doubles in other areas and that's all geared towards uh their survival mechanism um but um yeah we don't have very big packs out here, typically, you know for me to see five is like a rare occasion. Four even sometimes is rare unless you're talking pups and what have you and and that's a whole different situation i'm talking about a family unit right. that has you know more than three coyotes that's that's um not very common out here mm-hmm. and i'll do a lot of stands. I bring a lot of singles and I bring in this time of year you bring a lot of doubles in because they've paired up right. but normally once those family units break down in the fall i will start seeing tons of singles just single 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 you know and if i get a triple it's like whoa triple you know and and i look at some guys back east and i'm just always kind of blown away it's like i've watched six or seven or eight coyotes and i'm just like oh my god what yeah, would that be like it's different out here you know
0: you know if, if we get spots that uh um i got a spot that when i was getting ready for land uh, to hunt the Eastern Championship mm-hmm. uh, in January, <clears throat> we got kind of weathered out. So I had a lot of land that I didn't get to hit for the tournament that uh, was just, you know, might as well hunt it afterwards. So I had one spot that was a, uh, where they grow forestry. The local lumber mill owns the, the property, and I had field, uh, field up against it. And the first time I went there, I let out one how. And nine dogs come running out. I didn't know. Oh my Lord. I didn't know which way, and I've got <laughs> video of it. I, I, and that one, believe it or not, I didn't even shoot at any of them. I, I realized that Oh my! they just came out like the little clowns at the circus out of a car. Like they just kept pouring out. And, uh, so I figured, you know, I need to come back. I almost always hunt alone. I said, I need to come back with a couple more shooters. And, uh, <clears throat> we came back the next time I had two other people with me and, uh, you know, it's rare that I have, a, you know, a group of three, but three of us went out there and, and we cleaned up pretty good in that woods. But it was one of those oh, cases man. of, uh, you, out here, it's not uncommon. A couple months ago, I had, I had a stand that, uh, was by myself and five came in and a bunch of lucky shooting. I ended up taking three of the five, but it's it, here. It's not uncommon to have four five, six of them come in at once. So we're, yeah, we're
1: kind that would you know, it's always exciting. I, I, I tell you, really, you know, my, my blood doesn't get up anymore. I love coyote hunting, and I still, you know, when I have a single coming in, I'm feeling good, but I don't get buck fever anymore until I get like about four coyotes coming in, <laughs> and yeah. and then I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you know, and I, I can feel it. I have to start taking deep breaths, calm myself back down just get focused on what i'm doing so that i i don't blow that stand and uh but yeah it's really fun and interesting to watch other guys hunt i think that's one thing i love about like the facebook community and uh the youtube and the instagram is is the guys sharing what they're doing across the nation and uh it's just really enjoyable to be a part of that and and uh to be able to share in that because um you know before all this technology when i was a kid you know, there wasn't even a coyote hunt magazine. I mean, you kind of had to learn from somebody else or you just had to go out and do trial and error. And I really like the format where you can try to help other guys out and try to try to give them a context, like everything that I'm talking about, about motivations, it's just one framework for the way to look at coyote hunting. And I think if you find any guy that kills coyotes consistently, okay, he's got a methodology, whether he knows it or not, he's got a framework and like say say I'm I'm a counselor, right? Mm-hmm. I got my master's in counseling. So when I'm out there looking at coyotes, I'm always looking at right motivators, right? What motivations? And then I'm looking at communication. I've got this device and I'm communicating with these coyotes. And and so that's kind of from that counseling standpoint. Probably that's why I look at it that way. If I was a mechanic, I might look at my sounds as parts that I put together in a certain way and then things work, right? right? You know, if I put these parts together in a certain order and in a certain way, then things work for me. So I really think it's, it's, it's not necessarily a guy needs to take my framework. I think what, what, hap- what needs to happen is a guy develops um, some sort of framework that makes sense to him and looks at the things that are functional and, and, and uses those and builds on those, and looks at the things that are not functional and gets rid of those. And the more a guy does that, the more a guy weaves those two things out, the more successful he's going to be in stand. So
0: Makes sense. So can you kind of touch, change gears a little bit, touch on um, a lot of people I know have questions on like sound intensity. So it kind of goes along with the the motivation stuff you're talking about. But... um, one of the biggest questions I see people asking about is, is, um, sound intensity, the sound proportionate to the sound source. Um, and overall, like I, I think a lot of people call too loud or maybe I'm the guy that calls too soft at every stand. I don't know. I know my style is, I just, I don't call as loud as other people. When I go with other people, um, our kind of general rule of thumb around here is whoever's landed is they're the ones that call. So sometimes I'll tag along with somebody else and I'm thinking, man, like that is the coyotes. In the next County can hear that. Um, so yeah. <laughs> maybe I'm the guy doing it wrong. I don't know, but can you kind of touch on, uh, sound intensity and, and how that plays into, into things?
1: Yeah. I'm actually going to reverse this a little bit. Okay. Cause I mm-hmm. think you, you brought in two different kind of things that are going on. And, uh, So let's talk about just the loudness of the sound itself. So for me, um, you know, I'm hunting some big open territory. Some of the fields that I hunt are a mile long, you know, and, um, and we've got a lot of desert out here. It's just wide open space. And so a lot of times I like to be able to, I like to have a loud call. And And when I had my Fox pro fusion and sometimes on the desert, we'd be out there and I would, I'd crank that thing all the way up. Um, and nothing. And I'd pull out one of my, hand, my loud hand calls, and I'd start cranking on that thing. And the next thing you know, we got, boom, two coyotes up on a ridge looking at us. Boom, now they're coming down, you know. And then I'd switch back to my fox Pro, bring the sound down a little bit. But usually when I start a sound, I think one of the, one of the dangers of, of using a loud call is if you start too loud and there's coyotes that are close, you can scare them away. You know, right, because it's going to, you start, you crank up a rabbit really loud. They're going to know, holy crap. It's going to sound like it's right on top of them to right. them. Their ears are way better than it's ours. It's going to sound
0: like a 125 you pound know. rabbit.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's, it sounds like, uh, you know, a a rabbit on, a, you know, with a, with a loud horn or something, you know, and they're like, it's just going to freak them out. And okay. they know that it's not right. So I think probably it's wiser if you're going to start out with a distress sound is to start out quiet. You know, if you start out like 30 percent volume, maybe, you know, 40 at most, maybe even less, 20, you know, and just see if you get any bites. Okay, And if not, then you can start increasing the volume, pushing that sound out there further and further so that a coyote, because it's the proximity thing again. The closer that meal appears to be, the more they are apt to come. Right. Right. So if. If that meal appears to be five miles away, they might not be as interested in it. But if it sounds like it's just down the block, they may be more interested. And that's why I always talk to guys when they got coyotes checking up on the edge of a field. They may be hitting a territorial line. I'm like, get in closer to them. Mark that on your map. Get get in closer to them next time. You know, reduce, you know, or get yourself more proximate to those coyotes. And the odds are you're more apt to bring them in either for distress sounds or even coyote vocals, etc. So don't consider that a failure when you're out in the field. If you got coyotes checking up and they just you just can't seem to get any traction, don't sit there and keep playing sound after sound after sound. Okay, call it good, mark it on your map. Next time, get in closer. You know, and if at if at that time you can get in closer because sometimes you can, sometimes you can move your position. You can get your call. You can move in closer uh, to their location uh, and do it without being seen or heard. Well, then do it, you Mm -hmm. know, do it right then. But if not, mark it on your map, get go in there later. So I think sound is one of those things, you know, the volume is something to adjust. So I'll increase my volume. and, And I wish, I really wish there was a call with sound modulation on it. It's something that I've always wished uh, either Fox Pro or IcoTech or, you know, Lucky Duck or somebody would come out. Um, I think the Lucky Duck, the Revolution and Revolt are really nice because they do modulate that sound because the, the actual speaker turns as it's calling, right? right. So oh, say it's pointed to the left, it's going to be louder there. All of a sudden it points to the right. Well, now on the left side, that volume went down. Right. Because now the now the sound's being broadcast over here to the right. So it's kind of a built in sound modulation, but they could do that very easily with software so that when you say go to, say, sound level seven. OK. And but you don't want a continual seven. The, instead of having you have to work the volume up and volume down, volume up and volume down, because I want it to sound natural. Sure. And some sounds are pretty static when it comes to their volume. And so they'll be like, it'll be wah, 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 wah. And it just stays at that volume. And you're like, you know, and I want it to go wah, 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 wah. You get louder, you know, and and softer. So I'm I'm sitting there thumbing those buttons, making that sound go up and down because it sounds more natural. If a rabbit's crying, it's not always going to be facing one direction and crying in that direction. It's going to have its face up and down and it might be turned around the other way. And so... I think that's one of the beauties of those Lucky Duck uh, Revolution Revolt is that it's got that built-in modulation just by the feature of that that call rotating. Sure. Um, really, really smart idea. Um, so, so volume, I do think, is a critical, I think, um, for me. If you're going to use coyote vocals, though, this is the exception to that uh, start quiet thing. Coyotes are freaking loud. <laughs> Man, they are loud. If you've ever had – I mean cu- – I know all these guys that are, the guys that are new might not know this. I've always had guys like, man, that coyote's like got to be a hundred yards away. Well, you know, no, it was like 700 yards away. (laughs) Right. Does that make sense? (laughs) You you know, have you ever taken new guys out and they feel like the coyotes are right on top of them?
0: Oh yeah.
1: And, uh, it's because they're so loud. So I always recommend, um, push that sound as if you're running a coyote interrogation. Now you push it as loud as your call can handle it. And, you know, and that's where it's nice to have a good loud uh, call. Mm -hmm. um, If you're, if you run vocals and, and I recommend running them like I'll run my outlaw at 90, 90% or a hundred percent if I'm running interrogation house. Um, And so that's the exception to that. And then if I if I do interrogation, um, barks and howls, usually I'll back it off to to 7 or 8, so 70% or 80% volume. And uh, so that's the one one exception. So that's volume. So let's get on to intensity, because you did ask about that, right? Yes. Okay. So sound intensity is one of those things that I really think is important. And I'm going to use pup distress as a perfect example of this, just because it's a really um, nice way. And then we'll use rabbit, too. So... A den raid. This is Tony Tebby's sound. He's got den raid one. I think he's got den raid two and maybe a den raid three. Um, it's basically a sound where you got a pup and then you've got um, a coyote attacking that pup, and it, there's growls and and um, pup screams etc. And I and and what I do is when I look at a pup distress sound, I kind of rate it on intensity. I usually just I don't do it like one to ten. I usually do it just low, medium, high. Okay. So I'm gonna you're gonna have to forgive me on this, okay? Um, like i would I, I wouldn't start out with a high intensity sound. like that Tony Tebby's den rate. If you guys haven't listened to it, you need to go to Predator University and go find it and listen to it. And you know, probably be a good one to have on your call. Uh, but that's a, that's a that's a real high intensity sound. When you listen to it, it's like crazy commotion it's this pup is freaking out, and it there's a lot of hysterics going on there yep. okay well i I would rarely start with that okay i normally we'll start with a low intensity pup distress and and there's a couple of reasons why one is um when you start out with a low intensity sound, um it's more like um a kind of like. it's you know there's there's not a lot of like intensity happening in that sound and the thing is I, i like to build my sounds okay i like to start out with low intensity and then work my way to high intensity so if i'm not getting any traction with low intensity sound then i maybe move up to a medium intensity sound it might be pup screams or something and then yeah, I'm not getting any traction with that or, or I've got coyotes and they're checking up They're, they're, they're excited, but they don't want to come in. They're just kind of, then I might bump it up to a higher intensity sound like den raid or I've got an, I've did an ode to den raid because I was so impressed with that sound and I, I like the way it works. Tony's a genius for coming up with it. I would have never thought a sound like that would have been effective and just a great, great, uh, sound. And, uh, there are other, I think, uh, icotech has got den attack and, and people have copied, copied that sound mm-hmm. but i think tony was the first one that came out with that but really great high intensity sound and so they're kind of like hail mary's and and you don't want to waste a hail mary <laughs> right, right, right off, off the, the bat, bat. Yeah. because the thing is once a guy pulls a trigger on a coyote so say you've got in your situation where you've got those eight or nine coyotes coming in right and you take three guys out there with you if you don't clean house if you don't kill all of them those coyotes that, that are left they know that sound. They just had a really traumatic experience, man. Right. Trust me, you've been shot at and you're running around the field trying to get away, right? And yep. you, boom, 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 people are shooting at you. All of a sudden, you know, half your pack is gone. Well, you think the next time you hear that sound, you're not going to be, it's not going to cause some sort of uh, fear or, you know, because right. in, in those coyotes, yeah, see, that sound is burned now. So right. better to use a low intensity sound and save that does that make sense
0: absolutely yep and and on a little if i can kind of get sidetracked here for just a second while i'm thinking oh heck it, yeah on a little side note um where i was talking about i keep a lot of statistics on everything so i use one mm-hmm. app for my mapping i use on x i use a different yep, app for my kills i use hunt stand um, it has a harvest module so i can overlay the two maps and all that but one of the things that i that it just kind of made me think to mention it Um, on hunt stand. When I log a harvest, I put what call I was playing that brought the dog in and what I shot. Now, of course, everybody, I I shoot all suppressed. Anybody who hunts with me um, shoots suppressed, but still it creates, um, and this kind of falls back on a little bit of my police canine training job that it creates in at least a domestic dog, what's called an aversion. Once a, dog has an aversion to something it's permanently imprinted in their brain so like if a puppy slips on a slick floor when they're a puppy that's how we end up with these police dogs that we get from europe that they're afraid of a slick floor they're afraid of a dark room or something it's because something gotcha. bad happened on a slick floor or in a dark room and that's permanently ingrained in their in their brain and we call that an, an avert a negative aversion you can actually have a positive and negative version So we call that a negative aversion. So what I do is I log the sound that I shot over at every stand. And if I didn't, and then I have a little symbol that I put basically if there's more dogs there that I did not get. So the reason I do that is when I check, when I go to a stand, I look, see if I've killed anything there before. If I have, and let's say I was playing uh, Den Raid, I'm not going to play Den Raid at that stand again because I've educated. Man, you and I are. Right. I I've, educated those, dogs, that it, I've edu- educated those dogs. Or I've educated those coyotes and created a negative aversion to that sound. So I know absolutely it, it sounds like a lot of work totally in keeping agree. track of all this data, but I'm also a big proponent on adding a bunch of little thing. Each of these little things help you. You know, there's a whole. They add a, up. Yeah, there's yeah. a whole controversy on um, uh, do you wear camo? Do you scent this, that any of those things probably don't it's matter much in themselves. Um, I, I've, I did a episode with Jason Grossclose, close and he, he hunts with Tory cook. Those guys go down in Georgia and wear jeans and a white t-shirt and stand out in the woods and shoot coyotes all day long. And then I've got all this camo and everything. So my point with that is, is it's not that any one thing may help you a bunch; it's that all these little things add up. And I think I, I marking, totally agree. yeah, I think marking your aversions and knowing what sounds you've shot over is one of the bigger things that you can throw in the mix. So I didn't mean to get you sidetracked. It, it
1: absolutely is.
0: Yeah. I no. To, no. No.
1: That's a great point. I wanted to it's touch what, on it's, that. Um, the the first jackrabbit sound that that had any kind of intensity to it was back in the day. Fox Pro came out with it. It was called uh, everybody's probably heard of it. It's called Lightning Jack. Yep. And, man, I remember when that came out, I killed a slew of coyotes. But what I found is, man, it didn't take long before that sound had no effect. Matter of fact, I'd play that sound. I'd watch coyotes run out of the field. Yeah. And I was like, and that's really why I made my uh, jack smack sounds. And I actually have uh, three or four of those. I've got three jack Smack and uh, one Jack Whalen, and they're all very similar, but they're different rabbit um, sounds. They're, they're different. I would use one till it was burnt out, then I made another. And I'd use that one till it was burnt out, then I made another. And, and, and coyotes, I always liken it like this. Guys might be like, ah, oh, no, that's a bunch of BS. But here's what I'm saying. If a guy's driving in his car, okay, and all of a sudden back in black comes on the radio, and – he gets t-boned boom this horrible accident maybe he lost a, a wife and a child in this accident or th- everybody got hurt or whatever and about six months later he's at the coffee shop and all of a sudden the first time since that accident all of a sudden back in black comes on the radio where did his mind just go
0: right
1: it went to that accident
0: yep.
1: immediately you know sounds and songs and and i take people back to memories that they had, you know, they become connected. It's called the law of contiguity. Two things closely associated in time become connected. So even though that rabbit sound or that pup distress or whatever you were playing really had nothing to do with that coyote being shot. I mean, it brought him in, but because that sound was playing, that sound that what, that they that you started shooting on or the sound that played right after you shot, if you have got like fox banging and, 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 and you always cue up this sound, um, that, that became imprinted in that animal's mind. Right. And it is going to create a negative experience um, and you're less apt to bring an animal in. I totally track my sounds when I kill on stand. Absolutely. What sound was I playing when uh, right before the shot or during the shot, or right after the shot. And I, I'll keep track of those. And if any got away, I will not use that until the next season's litter comes back. And that's why I like having a lot of sounds on my call. So yeah. that's a really great point. Absolutely. And, and uh, if people th- just, I think one that, yeah.
0: Yeah, if people just track those sounds, and, and I think to reiterate your, your point is, I, I think people underestimate that, First of all, everybody knows coyotes and domestic dogs are very similar. So, in in dog training, whether it be either pet training or police canine training, I always preach in seminars and, and in my company that dogs are masters of association. But to a mm-hmm. to a, a domestic dog, everything's either positive or negative. There is no real middle of the road. Food is good. Um, you know, certain things are bad. You know. Somebody yelling is bad. So coyotes in the wild are going to associate everything with you either something good or bad, and they're going to react accordingly. So it's the same reason that your dog's waiting for you at the front window when you pull in. They understand the sound of your vehicle the same as we understand a voice. So... Yeah, the, they and know it And then too. something good happens, right? Mom, dad comes through the front mm-hmm. door. And so... Now what led up to that good? And and they start to learn what are the things that happened previous to that good or bad event? So the same thing in, in hunting, you know, it, it, it kind of reiterates the, uh, importance of slipping in quietly to the stand. I, I, I personally like hunting around livestock. I have good luck with it. Yeah. I just, I feel like I'm helping that farmer more than the guy that's just has a cornfield or bean field. So, but try getting a, try getting a 16 foot steel gate open w- with a chain around it at three o'clock in the morning without making a peak. Oh. It's nearly impossible. Oh, I know. But
1: It drives me crazy right? sometimes. But
0: the reason I'm so weird, people are like, man, you're, you're taking two minutes. You're taking forever to get this gate open. Well, imagine if, and, and my land, let me back up a little bit. A lot of my land, especially livestock stuff, I hunt, I hunt the same spot two, three times a month and I hunt year round. So I hunt five, four to five nights a week and I hunt 12 months out of the year. So I'm hitting a lot of my spots on a regular basis. So imagine mm-hmm. if every time I shoot a coyote there before that, they heard a chain rattle against metal. Now the next couple times yep. I show up there, what's going to happen when they hear a chain rattle against metal? They already know what's going to happen. Absolutely, Something's going to die. So I think if people that, that brings up a really good point. If people understand that, coyotes are the masters of association and they're associating everything with good or bad. You know, it's, it's hard for us as people to put something out there that a coyote's going to associate with good short of throwing food out there or something for it. Like, I don't know how to associate how a coyote would associate anything with anything positive. All we're doing out there. Probably is, a bait pile. Right. Bait right. pile. Yeah. Yeah. Other than that, <laughs> we're giving them negative markers, negative associations. So the fewer of those we can give them, the more successful we'll be. So yeah, that that brings up a that's a really good point that I'm glad you touched on that. Um
1: Yeah. And there's there's one more thing. I'm gonna I know we're getting pretty close to the end. We've been talking for a while. That's okay, um, we're fine. one last thing is that like um guys are always saying, Hey, should I um can I have my truck there? And my thing is, or you know, do I need to how much far do I need to get away from my truck or you know, etc. And the thing is, is that what I found is if there are a lot of trucks in the area, coyotes are not concerned with them. It's like tractor equipment. We have got guys out here running tractors, and there will be coyotes standing in the field just running out there, you know, in the field. If if that guy doesn't carry a gun in his tractor and shoot at those coyotes, they just, they just, he'll be, you know, plowing the field or whatever, and they'll just be out there in the field running around mousing or whatever. And so – I always like, listen, if there are a lot of vehicles in your area, don't worry about your vehicle. Right. That's not a big deal. Do worry about the noise you make, like the ding, ding, ding when you leave your, you know, or slamming doors and things like that. You know, but if they just hear a vehicle pulling up or pulling by and, and then it goes quiet, not a big deal. It's all those other associated sounds that you kind of want to avoid. But um, the vehicle, you, can, you might even be able to set up sand. I've done it before where I, I pulled in my truck. The moon was big. It was a full moon, but it was low in the sky, and my truck is actually cast in a shadow. And I, would, I will set up my, my tripod and stand right there in the shadow of my truck and hunt from there and been successful. Yeah. So, um, But if I'm in the middle of the desert and there isn't a lot of traffic, Well, then that truck is a dead giveaway, you know, driving around and making noise and leaving it out where they can see it. Well, then that's going to work against the fella, you know? So good, good point.
0: Yeah. Well, so let's kind of wrap up uh, this for, for today and what we're going to do is um, carry this over to episode two. So folks, if you're listening, um, You should see right below this episode, uh, this is episode uh, four, I believe. You should see episode five, which is going to be continuation. So folks, stick with us, and we're going to roll this right into another episode.